This is episode number 236 of the Rising Man podcast with Samson Odesanya. Let me show you what real strength looks like. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Jedi Azuma, and I am back for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Here we go. But before we jump into introducing today's guest, it's coming up, guys. May 4th through 7th, we're going to be back in the dojo once again here in Austin, Texas. We are going to take you men to the edge, to the brink, learning how to explore the width and range of your nervous system, of your strength, of your full potential, sharpening your embodiment, preparing yourself for the unknown, and getting ready for what's coming up in your life. If you're ready to push yourself to the edge and do so in an amazing container with some awesome men from all over the country, then go to risingman.org slash dojo. Get yourself registered today. You're not going to want to miss this opportunity to train, strengthen, and prepare yourself for the unknowns that are coming. All right, my guest for today is Samson Odesanya. Samson is a guide and facilitator with the mission of assisting people in experiencing their aliveness and fullness of their power. In this episode, Samson shared his experience of growing up without a father and how he learned to look for himself in other people and establish his own father archetype. We dove deep into the topic of death and why this is important in terms of the journey from boyhood to manhood. We talked about the fascination teens have with death and even pushing the limits of life and death as a way of experiencing what we are all instinctually inclined to do and what we're all looking for. We asked ourselves the question, what if I don't want to be here was really just I'm ready to transform into a new identity. Another topic was the role of uncles, leaders, and elders in raising our boys to be men, how the urge to transform and change has been labeled a mental illness in our society. And last but not least, navigating making less money than your wife, what happens to the identity of provider. Without further ado, Samson Odesanya. All right, Rising Man family, I've got my very dear brother here joining me today, Samson Odesanya, coming in live from Austin, Texas, just about like three miles away from where I'm at. What's up, bro? Right. Yeah, we in here, man. It's been good to get to know you a lot more over these past eight months of living here in Austin and and just watching you do what you do, man. I'm, I'm I'm so impressed by the way that you discipline yourself and just being a self starter, a man who, uh, it just has an amazing life story. So I'm so excited to share that with the audience here today. Now, I always like to start off with this question. For you, what does it mean to be a man? Mm. Man, you're going to kick it off right like this. Ooh. I don't play. We don't play here, man. We get started. We get going. Mm. So I was just having a conversation about the current state of the world and how there is so much noise, there's so much opinions, there's so much perspective, which I feel is great. I feel we're in a time where people are beginning to express themselves in a time where they really haven't. And it can become very dangerous to, without discernment, to fall into the trap of someone else's idea of what quote unquote to your question a man is not having my father growing up i remember like searching for myself in other people and i always thought that okay well i'll pick up this person's way i pick up this person's way and it kind of created like a I used to watch the power rangers like a megazord i like type of idea of what quote unquote a man is 
And it wasn't until like I began tuning in and listening. And for me, a man is It's easy to say the man is the provider, the protector. But for me, a man is naturally like the leader of the home, the leader of the tribe, the leader of the of 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 the of the community, if you will. Not because he's automatically one to set out in leadership. I feel a man has a certain commitment to God that through him is what feeds his families through him is what feeds the people he, he, that, that are leaning on him. I feel a man is not essentially just a provider and a protector just for the, the sake of those two words, but essentially because that that's a role that's in him. Right. I, I learned that I didn't have to look outside of myself to be a man. Like all I had to do was just listen and possibly have an example or someone to bump up against me. So what is naturally in me can be birthed. Um, and yeah, like. Is a man a provider? Sure. <clears throat> is he a protector? Sure. But more than that, I feel like a man is also a servant of God, like the servant. Um yeah, that's what's coming naturally for me right now. Yeah. Well, let's dig in a little bit to that, man. That's why we start off with that question, because it's yeah. so provoking. And I really like your answer. I like that you took your time with it. And it's too easy to shuffle off a bunch of qualities and characteristics, especially yeah. ones that are socially acceptable. Yeah. This piece you brought in about uh, growing up without a father and mm. looking for yourself and other people. Uh, I think regardless of the circumstances we grew up in, whether our father was present or not, whether we had examples of uncles and men in our lives or not, I think we all must go through the same process of surveying and identifying what are those qualities that I desire yeah. to have in myself that that resonate with that part in me, like you said, that's that's always lurking there waiting to be revealed. And yeah. I think it gets mirrored. I know my experience was taking bits and pieces of all of the men that I had in my life from when I was a boy to when I finally started identifying as a man, especially the pieces that I didn't want. It's like, it's, yeah. it's just as valuable to see what I don't want to be as a man as to what I do want to be. Yeah. As a man. And so to me, that's this like father avatar that we're all yes. formulating. And then eventually I get to become that father for myself. Yes. That's the, that's where that failure to launch process happens for so many men. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that and what that experience is like for you. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I love that you brought up, you know, the, the aspect of, cause my father, like now looking back now after years of, of, you know, ungrounding and uncovering a lot of the things that I internalized from his absence, I realized he was the, the perfect man that I needed, at least for my expression now. And um, not having him around, I didn't know this until after the fact, how important that was to even have my father around, simply because he's the mere reflection of what ideally a man was going to be for me. Mm. So being raised by my mother, right, at least for majority of the time, I didn't have a mere reflection of who I am. 
who I was. My mom was ideally showing me that. I did have my stepfather around, but until honestly, maybe like eight years ago, maybe nine or 10 years ago, I didn't really let him in. I didn't allow him in because I was still resenting my own father and I, I really couldn't trust him. It's like, oh, you're trying to fill this role that I wish somebody else would fill. Hmm. So, yeah, I was deeply hurt by his absence, not because he wasn't there. I was deeply hurt by his absence because of this constant need to launch, but I was failing to launch. Hmm. There was nobody there to truly help me understand what was happening in me. I was watching a video that actually like expressed this perfectly uh, two weeks ago. And the gentleman was talking about how every teenager, right? Like wants to die and not physically, but they want to, they don't know this themselves, but they want to experience a spiritual, spiritual and metaphorical death. So a lot of what was being unearthed in me, right? A lot of the, the disharmony, the, the charge, was there, but I didn't have anybody to kind of help me cross over. Mm. So a lot of that is what pissed me off. A lot of that is what like had me hold so much anger. A lot of that what is what had me confused. A lot of that is what had me externalize my own self image because I'm like, okay, well, something must be wrong with me because nobody's here to, to help me understand. So let me look for this in this person. Let me look for that in this person. Let me look for this in this person. But I always came back to the same thing. I always came back to the fear of taking responsibility. I always came back to the fear of having to actually own my power. I, I, can't, I always came back to the fear of literally allowing myself to, to lead. I always came back to running away and hiding because I didn't have that presence there, mm -hmm. right? So I only learned this looking back. I only learned this after <laughs> initiation, after initiation, after initiation. I learned this after being married. I learned this after being a father, right? All these things that my father didn't prepare me for, and there's no judgment there, right? But his absence didn't prepare me for, I had to learn on my own. And I'm grateful that I learned it, but now looking back, when or if I ever do have a son, I'm clear on the importance of my presence being there for him because it's a natural process. Absolutely, man. Uh, Dan, some really good things to pick apart there. So let's let's start with just the the role of a father to a son. Um, the the legacy of men's work where I come from, we yeah. say the role of a father for a son is to prepare him for life. Yes, right? essentially what you just said, right? To prepare him for the world and. My definition really expands out beyond the father because my, my reference point and thinking of community and the village and my deep commitment to reinstall that in our society is, is informed by just how difficult it is to be the one masculine figure responsible for mm. raising a boy. Mm. And I, I don't even think, I don't even think it's healthy because then no. we're, we're creating a carbon copy we're not, we're not improving on the features, right? We're just taking version 1.0 and recreating it into 2.0, 3.0. So we need those uncles. We need those additional layers. True. And the, the journey that you were talking about of death for boys, it just, it, it immediately made me think about the suicide rates. I know that that's, I know that that's what you were speaking about with that video, which maybe you can speak a little more about it because there is that natural 
instinctual sense that we have as boys yep. to, to challenge and push ourselves. Yep. And this curiosity and um, interest in death. It's not that we actually want to die. Right. I think it may become that in the absence of a clear path towards claiming a new identity. Because yes. really the desire of death is to release this identity of boyhood. There's so much stigma attached to being a boy. I mean, even the demasculation de 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 of men, we call them boys, right? Yep. They'll say you're being yep. such a boy. Yep. So of course, boys don't want to be seen as boys at a certain point because they're, they're feeling compelled to step into greater responsibility. Yep. But the complete absence of direction and guidance towards what it means to shed an identity Yes. And a new one. And to be yeah. in that void where you don't actually have an identity, where your identity is suspended for a period of time, that's not something that somebody can do alone. No. No. I mean, I, I, I looking back, I, I'm now realizing the importance of what you just said. It's not just my father. As a matter of fact, I, you know, doing research on rites of passage around many cultures, they <laughs> they normally would take the son away from the father. And it'd be the council, be the council of uncles or leaders or elders that would that would help transition the boy. So I didn't personally have that. But to speak to your point, I remember many times, quite a few times during my teenage years where the thought is loomed. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. But I didn't have someone wise in my corner to help me realize that's you don't want to physically die. That's just a party that's ready to be let go, get let go of. Yes. And speaking about this whole death process, like I've developed a healthy sense and healthy relationship with death after the fact, but only if I knew that, and there's no regrets, only if I knew that my, my boy years or my younger years or my formidable years could have been a lot different. I'm not saying that it was wrong, but I'm also looking through the lens of a lot of boys that don't have their fathers around. Mm. A lot of boys that don't have this presence around because there's a lot that's not just changing physically. There's a lot that's changing chemically in the body. There's a lot that's changing emotionally. As a matter of fact, boys actually have the capacity to feel more than, than girls. Mm. And then you live in a society where that's demonized. Mm. So now, you're wrong for feeling. You're wrong for feeling like you want to kill yourself. You're wrong for all these things. And it's like, fuck, nowhere to turn to. So it's like, imagine, and I love the work that you do. Like, I love the work that you do. Imagine having a boy where it's like, okay, 10, 11, 12, 13, this is the time. This is the time where what you're feeling is not wrong, but it just gets to be directed in a more challenging environment for you to actually have the natural process to spiritually and metaphorically die and enter into adulthood. I mean, in the Western culture, like you're not deemed a man until like you're 18. And that's from my understanding, that was never the case. It was like, right. It was like when that boy was ready, right. There wasn't like a specific age. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a magical overnight process. And right. it's actually something that needs to be seeded from the moment that a child is born. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, obviously, without going into a whole rabbit hole of rites of passage, that's why we're walking back the timeline, right? By, by first introducing mm -hmm. rites of passage ceremony and tradition once again, and then 
gradually walking it back. I mean, the the youngest man that I've taken out on a on a fast on a rite of passage, it was 18 years old. And I'm like, all right, man, here we go. We're starting to we're starting to get there. And and even just this year, there's been so many people reaching out saying, when are we going to do something for teens? And it's happening because yeah. because it's true. What if every time a boy, a teenager, 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever. What if every time they said, I don't want to be here anymore. I want mm. to, I don't like myself. I hate myself. Mm. What if that was reframed by an adult who could just say, I know that's because you're not meant to be this version of yourself for the rest of your life. Mm. It's okay. What if, Ooh. what if we answered that, that statement with then why don't we just work on changing that? Mm. Why don't we strip away the parts that no longer belong? It's not that you have to hate them or resent them or push them away. It's just that those are ready to go. That's a very normal and natural process. Absolutely. And we see the evidence of this when you see teenagers, they start changing the way they dress they yeah. do things to their bodies to try and change it. And we make it, we make it turn into a mental illness, right? Marking the body, those instincts to do that, that drives teenagers to, to, to do these things to themselves, it's the it's the instinct to change and transform. It's just not yeah. being supported and incorporated by the elders and the adults. Mm. Mm. Oh my! Like I got full body chills right now because I, I think of all the moments that I've considered doing that. Right? I, I've thought about like all the times where I, I highly disliked myself, and I didn't know. I didn't know until later that that was just parts of me that were ready to go. Right. And yeah, things happen the way they happened. Um, but I also realized how that affected me later on in my life. Like I was a little boy in a grown man's body. Mm -hmm. Me too. For the longest. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> thank God. I mean, like we worked on that, but yeah, for most of my early twenties, it was, it was this battle. It was this battle. It was resisting myself, denying myself, being at war with myself, along with trying to placate to a world that wants something else. It's unreal, man. And yeah. it, it makes so much sense when you when we step back and look at it. And it, and I'll say for myself, you know, I've been I've been in this work for ten years and in, in rites of passage and understanding that and guiding men for six years now, and it seems like such a big mountain to climb because the it's, it's like when you have a faucet that's running, mm. you can't, you can't turn it off to fix the pipe. You have to kind of fix the pipe while the water is rushing through these, these boys, they're growing, they're, they're, they're getting older. They're reaching. I mean, if you ever worked with children, you know, I mean, we've, we've worked in schools together, right? We've had experiences like that. You see, they literally change overnight. Yep. It's happening faster than we can strategically keep up with it. Yeah, it feels like that sometimes, you know, because it is it's it's such a big part of all of our collective history that's been dropped off a cliff. Mm. Now, I'm an eternal optimist, man. And you know me, I'm not a quitter. So yeah. we're we're still we're still getting after it. But when we think about this, man, everybody because it's a problem people care so deeply about. Yeah. Question whether we're all collectively ready to do what it takes to to reconcile that problem. Yeah, man, I've asked this many times. And obviously there are many, many different angles we can come at it. You know, the first thing I realize and that's coming up for me is you mentioned when these boys 
feel the need to change themselves because they don't like what they feel or they don't like the body that they're in and all these all these things and then they're they're labeled with a mental illness i think that and the, the system of diagnosing a natural process of our humanity a natural process of spiritual transition I think that's what causes a lot of challenges and misconceptions and confusion. And for me, it's like, I think first and foremost is truly having education and not just education, but education that, that we need to bring our elders back. I just have to say that first. Heck yeah. Absolutely. So education to help us understand like what's happening in us and along with the willingness to unsubscribe from a system that's perpetuating this challenge. I mean, there's, there's profits being made on diagnosing something that is natural. So is there an addiction to having to want to make something mean something, or can there be a deeper understanding for like really knowing like, Hey, there's nothing actually wrong with you. You just don't have the proper guidance, right? And here's the biggest thing. It's like, it all starts at home. Mm. Yep. I don't want to call it an attack, right? But I will say, like, we are experiencing, and obviously we're remedying it, but we are experiencing probably the biggest deconstruction of the family, the, 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 the family structure, right? A brother of mine, he's... He's stepping into a mission with like really speaking on the importance of the father in the home. Like there's so many issues that are prevalent because the father is not home. Well, let's, so let, this is great. Man. <laughs> I, we could talk, we could talk about the rite of passage today. You know me, but yeah. I think that's actually a great alley-oop to the role of husband and father once we once we find ourselves on the other side of that crossing yeah. between boyhood and manhood right so let's let's just let's just bookmark that chapter for a, yeah. for the moment let's say the boy finds his way through yeah because it's not all it's not all bad it's not, no. it's not nobody makes it there but let's say we find our way through we navigate into manhood and i do that to me it's like doing that 180 degree turn facing mm-hmm. outward instead of what can the world do for me it's what can i do for the world mm-hmm. and then we start to imagine having a family, having a committed partnership, a relationship, providing for our, our families and what that looks like, what that means. So I know you, you've been, how long have you and Nicole been married for now? We've been married for, it's going to be five years, been together for almost nine. Almost nine years. So almost nine years partnership and you have a beautiful child together. And so you've been on this journey of marriage, partnership fatherhood and the, the role of provider as well. Um, what did it start off like? Cause I mean, if, if you're, I know if your journey is anything like mine, it started off one way and it looks completely different now. <laughs> so like I said, I was a boy in a grown man's body and I, I had a massive mother wound. So <clears throat> for as, as long as I can remember, I, I searched to almost not please, but let's just say that like the, the feminine, because being raised by my mom, 
who ideally grew up in an environment that really wasn't healthy, she she took out a lot of her unhealthy like expression out on me. And that that did a number of my psychology, that did a number of my own self-image. So I walked around the world not truly believing in myself, doubting myself, not feeling enough, wearing the people pleaser mask, wearing the hero mask, so always attracting people that needed to be saved or fixed because it validated me. Um, wore the self-bashing mask a lot. And I remember getting into partnership with my wife now. I had just ended an eight and a half year relationship. And that just felt like it was coasting, right? Felt like it was coasting. Um, and the reason I came into that realization is because I already started, I received the tap on my shoulder. Like at 17, I, I started to ask different questions. So I was already in my journey of personal growth. And we honestly just, we got to a point where like, we just, we grew, we grew apart, right? I respected where she was and I, I, I chose to respect where I was. So call it off. And not too long after Nicole and I met, but I, I honestly didn't understand like what was going to transpire. So I was in Philadelphia in a dynamic where my mom had been deported since 2005. So that was a big rock to our family where I had three siblings, stepfather who literally had to like step into working even more. So I had to grow up fast. I had to grow up really fast, right? And not just support financially, not just support myself, not just try to stand on my own two feet, but also support my siblings, like take care of them emotionally, take care of them mentally. So I realized up until that point, I really did not have a healthy environment for my, honestly, my childhood expression because I had, I had to be the example all the time. So a lot of those things were coming forward when I realized, okay, mom's not here. Families are dealing with what they're dealing with. And it came to a point where I was like, okay, if I stay in this, if I stay in this dynamic, I'm not going to like live my life. I'm not going to be able to pursue what's on my heart. So I remember making a decision to like leave, to move, moving from Philadelphia, moved to California. And then obviously there's a honeymoon phase, right? When you're with somebody, sure, everything's all great. Everything's all beautiful. Like, and you don't know somebody until you start living with them. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, um, I got really confronted with who I was and I'm someone to not just immediately point the finger. I don't point the finger. I see everything as a opportunity to show me how I created the situation. So it was literally front row seats on a lot of the conditioning, the unconscious ways I've been showing up, but been afraid to step into. So the beginning parts of our relationship, like Nicole and I would bump heads a lot. We would bump heads and we would bump heads and I could, I'm not going to speak for her, but I'm going to speak from my perspective. We would bump heads because there were ways that she expected me to show up. There were ways that she would expect me to kind of have already in place that wasn't there. Prior to 
Prior to moving with her, I had four jobs, started a side business. Finances weren't an issue, right? Obviously, like they could have been more organized. I could have been more financially savvy, but they weren't a big issue. So I was able to take care of myself. I was able to hold my own. I was able to like, you know, kind of like support the family. But then moving out of that into this dynamic, I got really confronted because now she became the person who was making more money than me. Right. So immediately I castrated myself. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And then because how she grew up, the environment she grew up in, she learned to be safe in being in her masculine. So we were bum heads because every time I wanted to do what I needed to do, right, it'd be a fight because she wanted to do the same exact thing. And as you know, masculine, masculine, energetic cannot coexist. It's like, no, one has to give and one has to receive. One has to give and one has to take. So both of us wouldn't really give until I realized I wasn't really in a position to really do much because financially it got harder. Mm. I left my job. Business was tough. I was still in the, 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 the mode of building it. <clears throat> So what I felt like was I was in an environment that I was in an environment and in a situation that was honestly like almost I felt like it was used against me. Mm. I didn't I didn't I saw it that way because my psychology, my belief was one that would run away from responsibility, shy away from taking initiative, uh, 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 be scared of owning my power, r- like running away from stepping up. Right. But it was also difficult because I was with a partner who was unwilling at the time to drop the masculine mask. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I can I can really relate to that uh, different sequencing of the of yeah. the battle. Right. Um, when I met Carrie, I was 25 years old. She was 31. She's six years older than me. Yeah. And she was doing just fine by herself. You know, she was starting her own coaching practice. It was like in the very, very early stages when she had a full-time job. So she was, you know, she was doing fine. She was taking care of herself. And here I came along and I, you know, I I was a physical therapist, so I had the ability to go and make money. No problem. And so I did. And what happened was, is our relationship accelerated very quickly. She yeah. watched, we both knew we wanted family and she wanted to get started. So we got married a year after we got engaged. And three months after we got married, we were pregnant with Sitka. And in between, during the engagement time, when we were getting ready for the wedding, eight months before we got married, uh, she, she got laid off from her full-time job. The company was downsizing. And so she got laid off and it was this, well, we're planning for this big wedding. You know, everything was fine when we're both making an income, but all of a sudden your income's leaving. What do we do? And I recently traced this back working with my coach and she helped me see that there was a moment, an instant where I had, I made a decision and I was only 26. That's why I wasn't conscious of this at the time, but I snapped into this role of provider that I saw my dad do my whole life. Yeah. All the opportunity. I saw the gap. I saw my wife and and her, what are we going to do? Are we okay? And without really knowing it, just stepped right in and immediately assumed this role of provider. And then from that point, for the next seven years, really, I I owned that role of being the primary provider for the family. There were periods of time where Carrie brought in some money, yeah. but for the most part, that was me. 
And I'm, I'm on the tail end of this unpacking process. I've even like let go. My coach told me I can't even use the word provider in describing myself anymore, simply because of all, everything that was attached to it. I've got to recondition that word. Yes. If I'm being honest, I had so much energy tied to that. Like the, the, the power that I had as a provider is the one who's bringing in the money out. There was definitely periods of our relationship where I leveraged that overcarry and say, I got to go make the money. You got to figure this out. Cause I'm doing this. Yeah. And um, thankfully it's a much healthier dynamic that we have now, but even so it's, there's still that going back to identity. There's still that identity that I'm letting go of and releasing. So I'm, yeah. I'm currently in my own rite of passage process sever myself from that so that a new possibility can emerge because I don't want to block my wife from making money. <laughs> I don't want to block her success and, and even just yeah. her path forward into her gifts. Yeah. But I was doing it unconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, man. I hear that too, because there is, there is a massive part of me that wanted to assume that role. Mm-hmm. Not because it was like, not because like it was, it was asked of me or if it was forced upon me or I was being pressured into it. No, there was a natural inclination for me to want to take care of my partner. But I felt like my feet were chained. Mm. And it was, it was chained because the dynamic with her was reminding me of all the uncompleted, all the unreleased, all the unhealthy ways that I had with my mother. Mm. Yeah. So until I was willing to like look at that and clear that, I couldn't assume the role that was naturally in my heart. So there was a lot of work that had to be done in unpacking some of the things that would remind me in my dynamic with my partner of my relation with my mother. Mm. Right. And that's because like at a very young age, as we're egocentric, I took a lot of that on as truth. I took a lot of, quote unquote, in her anger, how she would express towards me as truth. So I had to completely shed that identity and allow myself to believe that I'm somebody that could be seen because all the ways that Nicole would show up that I'd be triggered by, because I didn't really understand like a woman deeply, I now see that that was just ways that she was calling me forward. Mm. Yeah. She was calling me forward to step up. She saw me, but I only saw, <laughs> I only saw, quote unquote, the, the, the trigger. I didn't see the real intention. I didn't see the hearts. I didn't see the woman who actually at some point wanted to put the freaking roll down. Mm. Right. So until I was willing to get out of my own shit and then we came into multiple agreements where it's like, listen, I can assume this role. But you also have to be willing to let me. Mm. You have to be willing to let me. And it's it's like, I remember having a conversation with someone. I was like, no, you just got to step in. And I'm like, yes, and that would involve me going to war with my partner. Right. So I had to learn how to like, like dance. I had to learn how to gradually dance to where she felt safe putting it down because at the end of the day, for most of her life, she trusted herself to take care of herself and to be in a dynamic where she had to learn how to trust somebody to like take care of her, take care of the family. Like that was big. 
And I mean, thank God we're at that place now. For me, like, it feels good being able to naturally assume that role and not have to fight or have resistance towards it because for me, it's natural. I have a natural inclination in my DNA to want to step up and provide for my family, not because the world says I'm a provider, not because that's what a man should do. No, I feel it's naturally in my heart to want to take care of my wife and my daughter. You know, um, and I had so much resistance towards that because I didn't have I didn't have an example of that growing up. Yeah. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, but it was unhealthy. It was very unhealthy. So I didn't really have a model shown me. And I had to honestly, I don't want to say learn on my own, but I had to learn over time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um I think back in, in college, right, there was like self-guided study, like where you, you make up your own major yep. <laughs> so instead of following yeah. a, a template. Yeah. Um, and, and, and listening to what you're sharing, it reminds me of just how important it is for each of us to really go back and review our yeah. childhood experiences and understand our patterns and behaviors based on what we witnessed and what was modeled for us. It, it's it's not, not an easy process. It's no. uncomfortable. It can be really painful. It can stir up a lot of things. And Obviously, there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but it is interesting how you we can't you can't avoid your your upbringing, right? I, I can't avoid the experiences that I had. They've okay. left uh, I don't even want to say scars, but they've definitely left marks and impressions on who I am. Yeah. So to try and ignore them or separate myself from them or divorce myself from my past, yeah. it's really just ignoring something. It's not that's True. not going to go away. True. So, so in order to understand it to be different, to create new patterns and possibilities, I've got to really go deeply into it and understand. It's wild, man. It's wild when you really get it. And I know you do a lot of this work as well. So to see those patterns playing out in the mirror when I've got what looks like a man staring back at me, but I know it's a boy in there who's just playing out the things I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, man. It's wild, man. And there's, I think there's still too too few men who have truly done that degree of, of reflection and work for themselves. To speak to that point, I think because there's literally so many studies now. Okay, I, I just laugh. There's there's a study for everything. Mm-hmm. I think you may know this study. I, I read about a study that it said sixty seven percent of men would rather be electrocuted than sit with their own emotions and thoughts. I don't know about that one, but I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a study that was done in like Boston or something like that. And literally like they had they had like like a taser type of instrument at like uh, attached to their hands. And, you know, they give they would give them moments to sit with their thoughts and emotions. And they, they said the men would literally opt to get shocked. And that's that's where we are. And it has not been easy for me. And I know it hasn't been easy for you, but I know. And it's something that I've I've grown to love because I'm clear about me being the nucleus to my universe, my world, right? I've understood how much of a priority I get to be to myself in order to really, really embody the role, not just as a man, right? But a husband and a father. And even though I've grown to love the work, I'm very clear that it's not easy. Hmm be very intimidating to unearth and peel back some of the things that have caused us a lot of pain. And everybody has a story, right? I'm not even here to kind of play the violin or preach to a choir about like what I've been through, right? But there's been a lot 
and to look at some of my demons to look at some of the dragons, looking back has been worth it, but it took a courageous choice and commitment to knowing that was necessary. Like I could not imagine still holding on. And obviously there's always more to unpack. Like I believe that, but I cannot imagine looking back and not doing some of the things that I've done and being a father right now. Like that would be a disservice to my own daughter. As a matter of fact, I think the work that I did was a byproduct of why my daughter chose that it was time to come. And I'll even say this, my daughter came at a very pivotal time in my relationship. I feel like she saved not only me, she saved us. Hmm. You know? So, I mean, I get it, but we can't escape it as much as, well, we can, but we can't as much as we try. Yeah, yeah, we can we can escape it, but it doesn't mean it'll never really go away. No, it's, it's running on the treadmill from <laughs> things chasing you. Um, yeah, man. I, I, there's one last topic that I want to make sure we we touch in on because uh, for anybody who doesn't know you, when you guys go and follow Samson on Instagram, man, you you've clearly devoted yourself to building a strong physical container. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. I know that's something that you take a lot of um, like personal pride in a good way. Like you you recognize what you've achieved. You're a strong dude inside and out. But I know that, especially in the social media world, the Instagram world, that type of strength is still something that is, um, it's held as a benchmark for for what it means to be a man, right? And I mean, you've even got strength in your IG handle. So I wanted to ask you, man, what what is real strength for Mm. a man based on your experiences and what you've discovered? What does it really mean to be strong as a man? Mm. I think strength has to cover all bases of every dimension of our existence not just physically for me it started physically because that was the lowest hanging fruit Mm. you know being an athlete out of high school like it was the the one place it was the one environment that i felt like i could begin to at least change the conversation that was happening in me like when i would you know change my body be healthy like i find some type of consistency and some type of positive habits in that environment but Slowly but surely, I realized that was that also became an escape for me. That became another shell, another wall that I got to hide behind mm-hmm. because it was just a way for me to seek love, seek validation based on, oh, if I look a certain way, maybe people would love me. Mm-hmm. That that transpired into now physical, into mental, right? I now was like, okay, well, I'm physically strong, but mentally I'm shitty. Like mm-hmm. I, I cave, I'll, I'll cave right away. So it's like, okay. Let's start to work on some of my, the, the, the mindset, right? Start to be more present to a lot of my thoughts, start to, you know, critically think, start to be more aware of like my patterning and my conditioning in action, right? And then that hit a limit, right? I realized that was another shell because it's like, okay, cool. I can mindset my way out of certain things, but I can't mindset my way out of everything. And then I realized there was a deeper layer. There was a layer that my mind was actually preventing me from facing. My mind was creating even bigger walls for me from from being able to look at and be with. And that was my emotional body, emotional strength. And I realized that's where a lot, that's where a lot of energy was stuck. And this is where I really started to like take on the work of breath and somatics and really getting into my body 
and realized there was a lot of tears that I didn't cry, a lot of, a lot of laughs that I didn't laugh, right? A lot of like a lot of ways that I kept my expression stuck. Like at that point, my posture was shitty. Like your, our physiology would express literally not just our psychology, but what's really happening in us. My posture was 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 poor. Like my my shoulders would be would be caved in. This also representing like my closed heart. So when I started working on my emotional expression and really, really diving deep, I realized that there was still a lot of pain I was carrying in my heart in the form of resentment, in the form of anger, form of shame, in the form of guilt. So truly developing a practice and the willingness to go in there and face my darkness, that was another form of strength for me, right? But the biggest strength of all for me has been my spiritual strength, my devotion to God my connection to God, my connection to my higher power, my commitment to creating this space so I could be fed by that. And for me, like until I got that in order, until I created harmony with that, right? Things were, things was out of, things were like literally out of order. So when I committed to making that first and then everything else comes after, like that's when I feel like I really felt strong, like, like strength. My, my willingness to, to hold, to, to face challenge, right? To, to be in, in the face of confrontation, to trust that, you know, I can walk through my darkness by not, and not be phased by it, but actually choose to love and accept it and understand that it's, it, understand that it's role in me truly holding my light. So if I were to define strength, it'd be all of that. It's not just physical strength because I hid behind that for a while until I couldn't hide behind that anymore. And then it was mental strength until I hid behind that. And then it was like the real strength. So literally working through all of this helped me now build a solid foundation that allowed my spiritual strength to, to, to support me and now building and cultivating this new identity of how I show up now. Yeah. Yeah, man, I love that you have chosen to be a voice for that because it, it it's, it's a message that can really only be heard from a man like yourself, who mm-hmm. is obviously very physically strong and clearly emotionally strong as well, but that that's something you've had to work for. And there's a lot of people out there who want to just show the example of the mm-hmm. outcome, but not talk about the process. And that's one thing that I really respect about you, man, is that you're you're not hiding those parts of yourself. In mm-hmm. fact, you're, you're, you're putting them on the forefront so people can see that it's you know, because everybody's like, oh, man, Kobe Bryant, look at look at what Kobe Bryant can do. And if they could only see the tens, hundreds of thousands of hours, right? Maybe <laughs> millions, I don't even know. Uh, and staying in it, staying in it when it's hard, man, that's when the, that muscle, not just the physical muscle, but the mental, emotional, spiritual muscle of resilience is built. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. And only only I get to be with myself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So um uh, so yeah, I mean, I just really respect you for being that type of man and being that example for your family, for your daughter, for your wife, for your community, for the men around you. You're doing great work in this world, man. It's good to be appreciate able to call you, bro. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, this was great. I, I could talk to you for hours and <laughs> I know. we get the chance. <laughs> Come over, bro. Come over. Yeah. You we will. We will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, let's let's hit you with a few lightning round questions and then you can let us all know what you're up to and tell everybody yeah. about where to find you. So first one, what is one thing you 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 learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? Hmm. 
Hmm. It's safe to feel. Beautiful. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Devotion to your higher power. For me, it's God. And what does the world need most from men right now? For men to honor what's real inside of them and for men to do the work on clearing a lot of the distortions that environments they grew up in and the world has placed on them so they can actually live up to what's inside them. I love that. Last but not least, man, where should people go to follow your journey, learn more about you, anything that you've got coming up you want to tell everybody about? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram, samsons underscore strength. You can also find me on samsonomusanya.com. Currently right now, I am, yeah, launching a program that's that's going to be starting January, but um, I think you said this is not going to be a little bit later on. You could talk yeah. about it anyway, though. It's not okay, going to be cool. the last time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm launching a 12-week experience online called In the Flesh. Ultimately, it's a container for um, identity transition. And you spoke to the point of, like, the, the very the void of where, you know, there is no identity, where the ego is freaking out because there's nothing solid to hold on to. And, you know, just getting a pulse of my environment, that's where a lot of people have been. I just feel like the world today is calling for, the energy today is calling for people to come back home. So that takes shedding identities that they've been picked, they've picked up along the way that aren't theirs to actually choose to come back home to be who they are. So um, ultimately that container is going to speak to that. We're going to do a lot of breath, a lot of somatics, really working at the level of the body and then getting people to be able to listen to what's on their heart. I'm um, also running monthly breath and somatic events online, going to be starting in-person ones in Austin. So yeah, that's what I'm currently up to. Awesome, man. We'll make sure we put all that information in the show notes for you and for everybody else to get to know you and get to connect with you. I think people should fly out to Austin just to experience you, man. You're, <laughs> you're such an awesome dude. I love that our families are getting close and that we're getting close too. So um, all love here to support you, man. Thanks for taking your time to be on here and we'll have to do this again sometime. Absolutely, bro. I can't wait. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Remember to head over to risingman.org to find out everything new that's going on in the Rising Man community. And while you're at it, make sure you get yourself registered for Dojo coming up here May 4th through 7th in Austin, Texas. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to us and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big ups to everybody out there showing that love and support in all the ways that you do. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.